of trying to meet the expectations is is something that wears a lot of people down. The the fallout, and you you mm-hmm. and I do, the fallout in ministry is alarming. But if, if people are not thinking in terms of of serving, they're not really going to understand worship. If they, what they need to see, therefore, in the church is is a, a very genuine community uh, that expresses, in the very real sense of the word, genuine love. Uh, I've been reading through um, a commentary on Genesis, and I, it's on my iPad, so I never really paid attention to who wrote it. But this morning, I thought, I wonder who wrote this this commentary on Genesis. It's really good, and I went to the front page, and you are the author of that commentary. Hey, I want to welcome you to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. We talk a lot about that, but I hope that these podcasts are an encouragement to you as we cover a bunch of different topics. Uh, surrounding surrounding life and ministry, how to deal with conflict, uh, how to deal with priorities in family and in ministry. Uh, hey, my name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host, and I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. And I'm so glad that you're listening in today. Um, I remember years ago listening to well-known pastors, people that I would look up to, people that were a resource for me in ministry, uh, maybe men that I would read books, and <clears throat> their uh, books were a tremendous help to me, maybe a commentary that I found exciting. And there were times where I would I would sit there and think, you know what, it would be just awesome if I could sit down over coffee with this guy and just ask him any question that I wanted to. And it was always, you know, kind of a far-fetched thing. Well, I had a privilege recently to do almost exactly that. I did not sit down personally over coffee, but uh, over uh, interview over my computer, uh, I sat down with Pastor Stuart Briscoe. He might be well known to you. I know he is to many people. And uh, I had the chance to sit down with him and talk about pastoring in this critical age. And uh, there were there were moments as I looked at him on the computer screen thinking, I can't believe that I'm right now talking to Stuart Briscoe. And uh, he's asking, he's answering my questions, and he's interested in what I'm sharing about my life. Uh, so it was great. And his perspective of the church today and his thoughts on, on what it is like from a man who's been in this for so long and traveled a lot, on what it's like for pastors today uh, serving and the, the way culture is, the way church is, the tensions and pressures and the changes and the the compromises and the conceding and uh, the maybe devaluing of the gospel. Uh, But anyway, all of this was, for me, like collecting a wealth of wisdom, uh, which I'm excited to share with you in this podcast today. Uh, Stuart Briscoe was born in the north of England in 1930. Uh, He has not been able to shake his British accent. It's quite evident in the interview. Uh, But after leaving school, he embarked on a banking career. He served in the Royal Marines during the Korean War. And at the age of 17, he preached his first sermon. And since then, he has ministered in every continent. Uh, He is perhaps best known for pastoring a large church in Milwaukee called Elmbrook Church. He's also the author of uh, over 40 books. I recently read a commentary of his. I didn't realize until... 
uh, halfway through the commentary and in preparation for a sermon series that I'm doing. I looked at the front. And I I thought, oh my goodness, this is written by by Stuart Briscoe. Uh, he's also founder of a media ministry, which is currently very popular, called Telling the Truth, uh, which you can find online, which now broadcasts daily worldwide. He's been married to Jill for more than 59 years. Uh, he has three children and 13 grandchildren, and I cannot wait for you to join in on this conversation that I had with Pastor Stuart Briscoe. <laughs> All right, it's a privilege for me to have Stuart Briscoe, very familiar name probably to a lot of people. Uh, Stuart, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I don't know if you have a super busy schedule, but you are taking time to talk to me, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. Happy to do it. Now, you, uh, you're still living in the Milwaukee area? Yes, we live in a small town outside Milwaukee called Oconomowoc. Yep, I, I know that very well. Um, I was sharing with you before we hit record that I served up in North Milwaukee in Mequon, and you were pastor at Elmbrook Church. Many people will remember you from your ministry there and also from uh, writing and, and speaking. And I asked you if you remembered speaking in England at a conference we went to, and, and you simply said, if you say so. So I, I can imagine that they all blend together, don't they? I'm afraid so, yes. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, when did you, uh, what has retirement been like, and what are you doing now? And um, you could answer this question too. I, I shared with you how I connected with you was through my father-in-law reading a book that you wrote entitled Improving with Age. Uh, maybe you could share how you've improved with age as well. How has retirement been good for you? No, I, I didn't say that I'd improve with age. I'm just telling everybody else how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, retirement is not a word that, that I've used uh, thus far in, in my life, but um, in 2000, in the year 2000, I... I decided it was time for me to voluntarily step aside as the senior pastor of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had been there 30 years. Um, it was my 70th birthday. And uh, it was the end of a millennium, so it seemed an obvious time to step aside. Yeah, that, uh, that seemed biblical to you, right? <laughs> right. Um, but at that particular time, uh, I had been in, invited to go to a conference in Subic Bay in the Philippines. And it was a conference dealing with something of which I was ignorant until the, the conference was convened, uh, where I learned that 90% of the pastoral leadership in the developing world has no formal theological training. Mm -hmm. And there are three reasons for that. One is that for many of them, there are no schools available. Secondly, even if the schools were there, they couldn't afford it. And thirdly, even if they could afford it and the schools were there, they couldn't get away for three or four years from their subsistence farming, etc. And so the issue was, what are we going to do about that? Because the churches are growing, but the leadership training is lagging far behind. Mm -hmm. And the answer was, it needs to be informal training. And I was challenged at that particular gathering 
uh, having just announced that we were going to step aside from the pastoring the church, uh, I was asked to consider, along with my wife, that we should devote our time for the foreseeable future, uh, traveling to the developing world and doing informal training of pastors. And uh, when I told the church, Humble uh, Church, we were doing that, they said, well, don't go away, stay right here as home base. Mm. Mm. And, uh, and continue to do that. And so we did that until 2017. And then we stepped aside again. Mm -hmm. uh, neither time did we say anything about retiring. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so uh, what have we been doing since that time? Uh, we have continued itinerant ministry wherever we're asked to go. We were, we were just in Greece a couple of weeks ago. Um, we uh, have our uh, media ministry called Telling the Truth. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we're, we're broadcasting all over the world every day. And uh, we've continued writing, both Jill and me. So that, that brings you right up to date with what we're well, doing. Well, that's, that's wonderful. It, it sounds like really you aren't doing much different than you have all these years, except for the pastoring piece, well, because you were, you were doing a lot of speaking and writing before that, this has allowed you just to, to focus exclusively on that, hasn't it? That's right, yes. Mm -hmm. one, one of the things I, I want to talk about in this podcast, it, it fits my vision, it fits with what I want to do, and you, you're free to go in any, any direction you want to go with this, but uh, you know, I, I'd be interested in your perspective on what's happening in the landscape and the church, and uh, particularly as we're seeing culture change, church changing, uh, being influenced by culture. Uh, let me ask you this question to start this off. If you were entering ministry now as, as a young man, what would be different? I'm sorry, what was that? What, if you were to enter into ministry now, uh, what would be different than it was when you did enter into ministry? <laughs> well, in, in, in my case, everything would be different. Mm. One thing I started when I was 17, uh, preaching. Uh, I was in England, and I was employed as a bank uh, official. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if I were to enter into the ministry now, of course, it, it would be in America. It would be as a much older person, uh, mm -hmm. and it sure. would be a, a, a vocational thing. That, that, that's probably not what you're asking. Well, that's that's uh, that's good to hear as well. But yeah, certainly, just what would uh, the context is so different today than it was back then. Well, that's, uh, that's right. Well, I th I think the one one of the one of the differences uh, right now is that I think es expectations uh, on the part of most congregations have escalated dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that the um, I, I think that the the pressure uh, of trying to meet the expectations is is something that wears a lot of people down. The, the, the fallout, and you you mm -hmm. know as I do, the fallout in ministry is alarming. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so, I, I, but uh, the, the the difficulty for for many people going into the ministry now is that there, there are some, some people who have a lot of financial resources behind them, 
so that they've been able to invest in in uh, state of the art technology mm-hmm. which gives them a, a, a platform far beyond the the pulpit of a local church mm-hmm. and, uh, they're able to put on very very sophisticated uh, presentations and the expectation in, in many in many churches is that the pastor who doesn't have the staff doesn't have the resources is running in a hundred directions should be able to emulate this and that that's what i mean by the the kind mm. of expectations that people that people have people come to them constantly and say i, I have a book i want you to read uh, i have uh, i have a video i want you to watch uh, we we recently heard somebody say such and such a thing and we wonder if you would be willing to do this and mm-hmm. and that that is one of the one of the issues uh, i think another of the issues that people going into the ministry would, would face now is what what i would call a, a, the competitive spirit mm-hmm. uh, that characterizes many local church uh, ministries uh, I've, I've been amazed, for instance, over the recent Easter uh, program in our area, how, how many churches, many of which I'd never heard of, have, have uh, sent me uh, very, very beautifully uh, produced uh, gra- graphic, graphic art, from a graphic art point mm-hmm. of view, uh, beautifully produced uh, things telling me about wonderful things I would be invited to at, at their church. And uh, it's, it's, not, it's not just, uh, mm. it, well, it, it's, it, this is all part of the, of the expectation. Yeah, the marketing, the marketing. It puts pressure on churches to outdo their yeah. previous production as well as to outdo those around them as well, doesn't it? That's right. I think yeah. another thing that, that pastors will find uh, now in many, many places, they're going along with the expectations that are unrealistic. There's, uh, there's a, a lack of encouragement from, from many of the people, but mm-hmm. an excess of criticism. And this, this just wears people down. Yeah. And I would say another problem, and this is a pretty gloomy picture, but uh, it, it, it's, I think it's the sort of thing that you're dealing with, won't you tell me? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people uh, in, in, in pastoral ministries have to deal with the fact that, that, that there, are far, there are far more takers than givers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, it's a consumer mentality. Yeah, yeah. Again, people yeah. coming... Uh, and they're they're they're, they're very pretty demanding, and uh, and if they can't um, if they can't find what they're looking for, then they'll just go someplace else. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I shared with you that I I worked in England for for ten years, and we pastored a church of uh, fifty, sixty to hundred people in a town of maybe eighty thousand people, and we were only one out of two or three churches. Yeah. So it wasn't, if there was conflict or, uh, you know, problems or people have issues, they didn't have the option of just, hey, I'll just go to the other church. They had to work it out yeah. in that context. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I found a huge difference there in how community, the Christian community uh, was able to exercise love and 
mm-hmm. restoration, uh, confrontation of sin, repentance. It was beautiful to watch. Sure. And uh, I talk sometimes in, the pod, in these podcasts with people, particularly when we talk about conflict uh, work or management, that uh, we never complete the circle because, uh, you know, by the time you talk to people about behavior, um, you know, they don't go to the next round, they leave and go somewhere else. And right. uh, occasionally you hear a great story of someone who seeks to be restored within the community. Yes, well, I've, I've, I've often thought that the, um, the, the practice of church discipline seems to have practically disappeared uh, of, of, the, of, of the landscape. Now. Yeah, yeah, we're scared to do that, and I'm sure there are, there are many reasons. That, that could be, uh, hey, I'll, I'll call you another time. Let's talk about just that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you were talking about people giving pastors books, uh, in one of my early ministries, a lady came to me and handed me a book. I turned it over, and it was a book on humility. And uh, I was like, hey, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> so, yeah, we are under that pressure. Yeah, as you're reflecting on this, and, you know, I asked the question, what would be different now? Uh, and, I, and I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, I'm sure back when you started ministry, uh, you, you had the res- a, kind of a simple responsibility of preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be good at anything, the focus was on being good at that. And today the pastor is under pressure to be good at a lot of things. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. So, well, good. Well, what, uh, what, what, as you see changes, which I'm sure you, you have and you continue to do as you travel, and I love your, your support of pastors and just in a few comments you made, I can tell your, your heart is in the health of the pastor. Uh, what have you seen uh, change in culture that has affected the church. Well, um, the, one, one of the one of the the key books that I read some time ago now uh, it was called a book by Daniel Yankelovich called New Rules, and uh, he 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 said that up until the the time of the uh, Korean War the. The dominant ethos in American culture had been a sense of duty. People people did things because uh, they were members of society and they owed society something, and uh, they, that meant that they operated on the basis of fulfilling th- their duties. Mm-hmm. Mm. The community as a whole, to their family as a whole, to their churches, whatever, whatever it was. Um, but what happened during the, the Vietnam War was that people who had gone off to, uh, to fight in, in the war out of a sense of duty discovered that they'd been, as they put it, betrayed by the leadership and misinformed by the leadership. Mm-hmm. And so distrust of leadership uh, became pervasive. And Yankelovic says... That, that what happened uh, at that time was that people began to adopt the attitude of the only duty you have is duty to yourself. And uh, he said that, that that introduced a dramatic sea change in the ethos of the United States of America. What, what, used, to, what, what used to motivate people, to drive people, and uh, maintain people, uh, in in their lifestyles was a sense of duty out uh, and beyond themselves. That changed to uh, to 
I, the only duty I have is to myself, and, and that morphed into, and society in general owes something to me as well. Mm -hmm. So in the place of, of duty, uh, entitlement, uh, entitlement took over. And Yankelovic says that there's been a clearly discerned, discernible uh, change in in the ethos in the, in American culture. Speaking in in very general terms, mm -hmm. from that time on. So I, I would say that is one of the biggest cultural changes uh, that that has happened to to America in the last fifty or sixty years. Um, and uh, now that ma that will manifest itself in in many many different ways, but it's pretty obvious uh, what the, when it, what it what happens in in church life, where the the, the idea of, of the of the church is a called out community, mm -hmm. but if if people are now, uh, now moving with a, with a sense of I I don't have a duty to anybody. Mm -hmm. They, but everybody, uh, I, I'm entitled to certain things that come from me. Then the church is a sitting duck for, for people with that kind of attitude to come in. Yeah, and that could explain why people don't respond to church discipline or there's a fear to exercise church discipline. That uh, lack of duty or commitment to the body, to the community. Sure. Uh, I think we've answered that question there. So we don't need to do another podcast on that topic. <laughs> But not, not only that, of course, the, the whole idea of the church is it is a community of servants, mm -hmm. a, a, a community of worshippers. And worshippers serve, <laughs> in many of the languages, only needs one word. Worship involves serving, yeah. serving involves worship. But if, if people are not thinking in terms of, of serving, they're not really going to understand worship. And, and so there's a hollowness begins to develop in in the, the church um anyway this, we could go yeah no that's that's wonderful i i met with some college students from uh, tacoa falls college that that's you probably familiar with that school i live in the town yes. uh, where the school is and i had uh, i did a podcast interview with a couple students talking about uh this generation's commitment to church and one of the things that they mentioned these were two students that have a high value to church and they they, they need to belong. It was impressive to hear that. I think they're a minority. But they said that this generation is looking more to what they can get out of the church than what they can give into the church. Sure. And, of course, that, that, that is similar, very similar to what you're saying. Sure. So I think, that, I think that's an underlying, uh, well, I think it's underlying and overarching uh, the, the culture in general and, and church life. Uh, in the view of many people. Uh, another of the great cultural changes, of course, is the incidence of family breakdown. Mm -hmm. uh, this is chronic uh, and uh, far-reaching. Far um, much, much of this breakdown, of course, uh, is related to uh, divorce. When I, when I was growing up in England, I don't ever remember meeting anybody who, who had been divorced. Mm. Uh, and I, uh, I, I do remember my my parents on one occasion talking in rather hushed terms mm. that, that there was a hint that somebody might be contemplating divorce, and that was that that was scandalous. 
Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine how, how far we've moved. Well, well, and this, of course, was in, was in England. But uh, so there, there, there are differences there. But it's, it's hard to uh, imagine, uh, hard to uh, come to terms with the incidents of divorce now and the carnage that this has wreaked in the in the culture and that, mani that manifests itself. Yeah, let me let me ask a question related to that. How how does that that brokenness, the fracture of the family, affect church? What what is affected? What has changed? What I'm sorry. What well, is what is what has changed in the church? I mean, how how has that affected? How in in what sense does culture well, impact church? Well, certainly the incidents of. Uh, mm -hmm. Family breakdown that 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 is that has changed uh, dramatically, but also and I think allied to that is the acceptance of okay okay divorce and, and remarriage, but 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 also the 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 impact on succeeding generations of of, of the brokenness. Uh, that comes from um, divorce and is passed on from generation to mm -hmm. generation in in our own in, in our, our own family uh, one one of our one of our children's spouse le left and took the children and uh, uh, and we, we now have that, that that involved four of our grandchildren mm -hmm. we have 13 grandchildren and um uh, and the the four grandchildren who grew up in uh, in in a broken family relationship, etc., their, their their lives have taken entirely different courses yeah. from from the others who lived in intact families. And funnily enough, uh, while this was all going on, uh, as one of our children was going through through a divorce. And I was seemed to be dealing with divorce practically every day of the week. Mm, mm. Um, my, our daughter was doing her PhD on the impact of divorce on adolescent development. Wow. And so we, we were very familiar with mm. that. And, and of course, the, what's happened in the church. So that's one of the huge, that's one of the huge changes in the culture. Yeah. Perhaps related to that, another of the dramatic changes is the dramatic change in sexual morality, mm -hmm. and uh, and that seemed to come about with the with the invention and the uh, and the the easy accessibility to the, the famous pill, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, where where I remember I remember when when we were teaching teenagers we used to we used to talk against. Uh, Premarital sex and all this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and it seemed that the three arguments we gave were the fear of infection, the fear fear of detection, and the fear of conception. Mm -hmm. well, with the pill, uh, with the pill and the acceptance of the pill, all those three fears were taken oh, away. Wow! Well, one pill changes everything. With My nothing, goodness, with nothing to hang over the kids' heads anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really good point. Wow, wow. So, well, how how does the pastor remain? Because obviously, the gospel is more needed when I mean, it's always needed, but it's more needed when there is brokenness around us, where we see, you know, uh, the shrapnel just 
littered around us, a lot of damage, a lot of woundedness. How, how does the gospel speak to this? How, how does the pastor need to, to, to be you know, really committed to the gospel with all the changes happening around him? Well, uh, I, I, I think what we've, what we've got to do is, is uh, first of all, uh, develop, develop in, the in the community of faith a, a, a genuine community that demonstrates, first of all, the uniqueness of, of a Christian community in fractured community. We're talking mm -hmm. about breakdown of the family. Yeah. But the fundamental uh, societal uh, unit, if you like, that, that is, is all that many, many of these young people uh, know. If they, what they need to see, therefore, in the church is, is a, a very genuine community uh, that expresses, in the very real sense of the word, genuine love mm -hmm. and, and acceptance. I think that's where we start. If we don't have that, we don't have much credibility mm -hmm. in the culture. I think the, the second thing that we, we need to do is to, is to recognize that the, the, this community that we call the, the church is a community of the called. And we need to be we, we need to be uh, teaching people not only what this community life looks like, but what it what what it is they're called to, who it is they're called by, what it is they're called for, and if if then if, if then in a fractured community, in a fractured society, you you suddenly come across a, a group of of strange people who are a genuine community, and in addition to that, they all have a sense of calling which they are genuinely seeking to fulfill. You, you've got a very attractive and a very powerful force for good. Mm -hmm. But in, in that context, we begin to teach what the key is, what it's all about. But we, we do it by reaching out into the community. And, uh, and, and, and that, that, that was what we... That was what we sought to do at, at Elmbrook all those all those thirty years, and, and it was a it was a very very wonderful experience for those of us who were who were allowed to be part of it. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about things that have burdened you, and uh, you know, maybe we need to be uplifted here a little bit. What is encouraging you today as you look across the landscape of of church and and culture, or well, mainly in church? Well, one one of the one of the things uh, is uh, with, with this remarkable group of young people called the millennials, mm -hmm. and uh, the millennials are getting bad press. Uh, but uh, my experience of, of millennials is that they're two extremes, and they're remarkably different extremes. Uh, on the on the one hand, there's the the millennials who we hear about. Uh, all the time, they seem to be drifting. They they seem to be without ambition. They 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 lack mm -hmm. and all all that sort of stuff. The the other extreme is that they are deeply committed, that they're highly motivated, that they're extremely energetic, and that, that when when we find them in the in the church community, uh, they're a very potent force. And uh, a year or two ago, Jill and I had a, a wonderful uh, opportunity. We, we were asked to join 
the Operation Mobilization ship, the Logger mm. Hope. Yeah. And uh, it was out in the, uh, in the Gulf, uh, the, Ara- the Arabian Gulf. They asked us to join them there. And it was going to sail across the Arabian Sea all the way down from uh, Doha in Qatar uh, to uh, Colombo in Sri Lanka. It was about a 10-day voyage, and it was, it was going through the area where the, uh, many of the pirates were operating mm. at that particular time. And so we, we, we were asked to go, and as the ship would be at sea for, uh, I think, nine or ten days, uh, there, was, uh, there would be opportunities for us to do teaching of the, the crew and the, and the people staffing the ship. To our amazement, when we got on that ship, there were 500 mm. young uh, millennials. And these, these young people have made a two-year commitment to serve on the, on the ship. They joined the ship in the Caribbean and administered around there. They sailed across the Atlantic to West Africa. They administered in West African countries. They'd got into the Mediterranean. They'd gone into the, uh, the uh, North, North Africa countries that were in the process of experiencing the Arab Spring. If you remember, sure, they they had gone into uh, the the Gulf states. Uh, They were they were then we went with them down to uh, Sri Lanka. From there, they they went to India, and then across to Thailand, and eventually made their way across the Asian Asian countries. And these young these young people were 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 totally devoted. Committed to that, and I would say, whilst whilst we bemoan the the problem that we have with many of the young people uh, eschewing the church, leaving leaving, mm-hmm. it's a very real problem. We, we we've got to acknowledge the fact that there are young people who, in my view, having spent many years working with young people, in my view, these are some of the most devoted. Mm-hmm. Uh, gifted young people I've ever come across. And they're a bright spot in the church. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And to tie this part of the conversation with what you said earlier about uh, churches being, you know, productions and pastors being responsible for so much to be relevant and attractional. One of the things that I've I've seen some of the reading I did for the interview I did with college students is that this generation is looking for authenticity they're looking for simplicity, and they're looking for the truth. Just tell us, tell us the truth. Don't soften it. Just tell us what's going on. Yeah. And I think maybe the church needs to listen to this generation <laughs> and realizing that um, they're not looking for the lights and the and the sounds. They're looking for honest uh, people who will talk about the gospel. Uh, you know, reminding us that we're sinners. That's why the world is broken and. That's why I struggle with, uh, you know, the things I struggle with. Teenagers struggle with depression, whatever else it is, because we're sinners. Well, the hope is that Jesus is our Savior, and he's come to offer us hope in, in life. And, uh, again, it's a simple message that they're looking for. So, yeah, that's very encouraging. Thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, I, I think as the conversation was getting a little gloomy, that has lifted us up to where we need to be. <laughs> 
Uh, Stuart, um, I, I was, uh, I'm serving as an interim pastor in a small church right now, and I'm, I'm preaching through Genesis, and uh, I've been reading through um, a commentary on Genesis, and I, it's on my iPad, so I never really paid attention to who wrote it. But this morning, I thought, I wonder who wrote this, this commentary on Genesis. It's really good. And I went to the front page, and you are the author of that commentary that I've been reading in Genesis. It's from the preacher's commentary. That's so thank you. What's that? I say I met one other guy who'd read it as well. Well, I uh, I tell people that my two listeners are always excited with everything I'm talking about on this podcast. So I'm glad both of us have a realistic image of our own success <laughs> here. <laughs> well, thank you so much for um, uh, your time here. Anything else that you want to to add here? Anything that you want to share about how you're addressing the burdens and passions? Yeah, I re- I refer to your writing. Are you still doing some writing and well, along yes, with your the, the book that you mentioned your was it your father-in-law yes it was called improving with age well yes. that's that's an uh, an area uh, that, um, that that Jill and I are very interested in we're both well into our 80s now and so we're, we're obviously very qualified as as seniors mm-hmm. and uh, we do know along with the with the millennials, that the seniors are the one of the two fastest growing demographic groups mm. in, in America, uh, which led me some some time ago to to, to well I, that was a wake up call for me to realize mm. that seniors uh, were the one of the two fastest growing demographic groups, and so I called. This was when when uh, in the year two thousand. I called one of my pastors in and I said, um, uh, how, how many people 55 and older do we have on the books at, at Arnbrook? And, and so she went out and checked on the computer and she came out she said, well, there are at least a thousand. So I said, well, what are we doing with them? And mm. she said, well, I'll check on that. And that didn't take long. She said, very little. Mm. So I said, would you, would you check around uh, the church. We have a network of churches similar to the one I was pastoring, and uh, see what they're doing. And she said it's basically the same thing, doing very very little. Mm. Mm. And and so I I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know, this this must be one of the greatest wasted resources in the church, the 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 community of seniors in in the church. They they're the people with the most discretionary time, the most discretionary income, the most accumulated mm. experience, the, which should lead, if the theory is correct, to a, a vast store of wisdom. And, and by and large, they've just been allowed to sit, sit in, in the pews, or even worse, they're becoming marginalized yeah i was just going to say that's that's a reality mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 so that was that was what stimulated us to to write uh, the book improving with age and since that time we we have been doing seminars uh, basically dealing with how how to minister to this largest uh, group in in the in the country in the culture mm-hmm. and uh, 
what their role is in in the church. And it seemed to me a reasonable assumption that they are, if, if they are one of the fastest growing demographic groups, they're probably one of the largest unreached people groups. Yeah, yeah, wow. If, if, that is, if that is the case, how can we talk about re- reaching this generation if we're basically ignoring or marginalizing in mm. the, the seniors? And, and so that, that is, that's one of the nasty secrets of the, of the evangelical church. I'm all in favor of being youth-oriented, but not at the expense of the seniors. Yeah, yeah. Well, those, those youth one day will be there themselves, and they don't want to fall into a vacuum. If yeah. the church can, can be intentional and pre- prepare for each generation, that's, that's powerful. Well, as I mentioned, my father-in-law, who lives with us, he's 92 years old, he, uh, he read that book, and uh, he was deeply touched by it. And he's also a man who is... Um, as he can, loves the Lord, serves serves the Lord where he is. He he witnesses to people that come in and help him out, and uh, I tell him he's obnoxious in a very good way. <laughs> he's very bold in presenting the gospel to people. So uh, thank you for your your contribution to that. Uh, well, your website is tellingthetruth.org, and yes. uh, people can look for resources and even some of the things that you have for. Uh, seniors uh, are no doubt on that website as well. Yes, we have an app uh, for it, which is very okay, very convenient. It's Excellent, free free app they can download. Sure, very good. Well, I'm glad this worked out. We had a hard time connecting through Zoom conferencing, and I was giving up. You'll probably see that I wrote you an email and saying sorry, we'll have to reschedule, and then. Yeah pop, you showed up on the screen. So I'm glad you did. (laughs) Yes, I found another way of getting on. Yeah, well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Briscoe. You've been a real encouragement to me, and I know the Lord will use this to encourage others as well. Thank you. God bless. So there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And if you have any comments or questions about anything that we've talked about today, or on any other podcast, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And I'd love for, to hear from you. I'd love for you to also go to iTunes and give us a good rating there. Give us a five-star rating. I'd love for you also to give a review there. So until next week, stay encouraged. Be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.